Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. Thank you. That's the voice of Dick Warren welcoming you, our dear listener, and I thank you for joining us again here at The Coaching Show. My name is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach, because you have to say it that way, and that there is Alex Terranova. Say hi to the people. Hi, people. I'm never going to be a Master Certified Coach. It's so sad. Yes, you are. You're already <laughs> masterful in your professional certified coach status. Okay, you got like 12 seconds. Tell me everything. I know you got Good a lot going on. Let's just talk about this for a second. Trying to become a master certified coach is so much harder than people realize. I just finished a a mentorship with Carly Anderson, who we've yeah. had on here, who right. was amazing with some other people we know. There was about and it is so it was a lot more challenging. You know, I was like, Christopher has one. How hard could it be? Right. And then, right. And then I found out, oh, I'm just not good. I had it confirmed that I'm not good enough. <laughs> I've been I've been trying to tell you that for years. The um the exciting thing for me is that uh you're even trying. Good job. Yeah. That's actually that's actually probably some of the best part for me. But I do think it's important. I think it's important for people to realize like it's it really is an accomplishment and achievement. And I know there's only what 2000 of them in the world or something. It's a very low number. But um, yeah, for me, it's more about it's not about the letters. It's really about can I can I can I conquer this mountain that I think is, you know, a challenge. So people you see the disembodied hand putting down coffee. That's pretty. Yeah, crazy. I do. Yeah, I'm, I'm also curious where that hand what what happens where's that person where's that hand who does it belong to is it yeah, your wife a small child an assistant right <laughs> my probation forbids me from talking about any of that i'm sorry all right let's get to it because i'm so excited about our guest and i've been looking forward to this for a long time i'm delighted do you know do you know those people alex that you know of like you know through other people or you know of them that's how i know jack jack is a friend of a friend of mine uh charles and jack's just i've i've known about him for years and he's got an incredible career and incredible passions and life purpose being made manifest in this world it's just extraordinary uh i know that jack has a background as a serial entrepreneur in everything from software to service to manufacturing i know that he did a pivot some years ago to um to really living into fulfillment and joy as an experience to to spread on the planet and has become an advocate for joy and couldn't we use some of those some more of those these days but also has uh started as far as i'm aware jack you'll you'll correct me if i'm wrong but started tedx here in san diego our beautiful home and has uh, nurtured that shepherded it parented scolded it molded <laughs> um for years so i'm delighted we can talk about so many things i'm delighted to welcome to our microphones for the first time jack abbott hello sir thank you so much what a pleasure to be here i've listened to many of your shows and what a what a great opportunity for me thank you i'd, li I'd like to apologize for alex's behavior on those shows so um <laughs> so uh, uh Jack, let's. I, I want to talk. I know that everybody is going to be excited to hear about TEDx, including uh, Alex, who uh, would love to, you know, follow that path. But I want to talk about your pivot from money-making entrepreneur, visionary, to someone who's really living their passion around joy and standing for fulfillment and joy being cultivated on the planet. 
Well, I, it's uh, uh, without taking sides in any way, the election in 2016 was a, a challenging time for me. Uh, like everybody else, active in social media, was parroting what I was hearing and seeing and sharing and receiving a lot more negative stuff than I really wanted or needed. I found myself kind of in this downward spiral of negativity. And uh, two things happened, a, a dog and a book. <laughs> so first was a, a, what we call a taco dog, a street dog from Tijuana. You know them, you see them all over San Diego. They're brought over by different adoption agencies. And this particular one kind of fell into our lives. And the day after we got the dog, my wife went to Germany to pick up our daughter from school there. So I had just sold my agency. I'm staring at this dog. She's looking at me, wondering how we got together. And I ended up starting a Facebook page for her. And dog's not interested in politics. She just wants to share joy. So she's up there and I'm posting these pictures of her at sunsets and meditating and doing all this wonderful stuff. But what was amazing, Chris, is all this beautiful energy that came back from Facebook. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, there's something here. So I started posting only positive stuff on Facebook. I stopped parroting, I stopped critiquing, I stopped liking. Um, it didn't mean I didn't feel a lot of energy about what was happening at the time or, or now, but I don't parrot it and I don't post it. And suddenly I started getting this positive energy back on my Facebook feed. And it's amazing how something like that can lift your spirit and started this kind of cultivation of joy inside me. And then I found this book called The Book of Joy, which was written by the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu, and really authored by a fellow named Doug Abrams, who's now a dear, dear friend, an extraordinary human being to pull those two together. And uh, I thought, this is incredible. I read it in a couple of hours. I'm typically a guy, Chris, that it takes me a month to read a book. So I got to be very selective about what books I'm going to read. I, I did this book in an hour and a half or two hours, it felt like, and it felt life changing. So the first thing I did was I posted on Facebook. Anybody wants a free copy of the book, message me, send me your address, and I'm sending you a copy. I sent 100 copies out. And the next day, I was my book. It's not about you, right, now, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jack. <laughs> so I gave a copy of the book to a woman named Deborah Zake, who you might have heard about recently, celebrating her hundredth year birthday yesterday. Who runs the number one health and wellness resort in the world that happens to be just a few miles across the border in Tecate. <laughs> And I gave her the book and she said, I love this. I love this whole joy thing. Why don't you come down and do something here? So that was probably my first deep experience in creating a physical immersive experience for people. And we brought 75 people to Rancho La Puerta. We took over the program for the, for the week and it was an extraordinary success. So that was sort of the beginning of just trying to do good and share joy with as many people as I could. Uh, you nodded as if you know about the book of joy, but, but basically it says there are these eight pillars that are important to us. The mind pillars are perspective, humility, humor, acceptance, and the pillars of the heart are forgiveness, gratitude, compassion, and generosity. 
But what really, I think the core message is, number one, that you can cultivate joy. You can work on these things that actually being good to people, being of service is the most personally joyful thing you can do in your life. And this connected right back to the work I'd been doing with TEDx. Why anybody in his right mind would spend yeah, as many as 12 or 1300 hours a year putting on an event as not an event guy, I was an advertising guy, I wasn't an event guy. So everything I did, I had to learn. But that was really the beginning of what made me realize that I could not only cultivate my own joy, but I could help other people do the same thing. So that's evolved and pivoted over the years and is now finding its footing in VR and virtual reality, which I think is really interesting to a lot of the people who listen to your show, Chris, because... You know, when you think about if you had thought about coaching on the Internet in 1992 or three or four and establish your sort of on road onto the freeway of the Web, you'd be in a really good space right now. You can see people like John Asaroff and Deepak and others who right. on the show who are extraordinary big stars on the internet. And right. I think a lot of that is where we are now. This is an opportunity for people to learn and get themselves a foothold in a new platform. Immersive, powerful, connected, great place to be. I, I know Alex wants in here, but I got to follow up with, so tell us about virtual reality, because as far as I know, it's just going to make me dizzy and I don't like being dizzy. So I don't want to put the goggles on or put my iPhone in there. Um, tell us how you're playing with, I assume, or experimenting with uh, virtual reality in this space. Well, I think that's a, a common comment from people. And uh, uh, if you talk to Chip Conley uh, from Modern Elder Academy, when we put him in a headset, uh, so it's just a quick, funny story. We put him in a headset and we took him to our airship in alt space, which makes no sense to anybody who hasn't been in VR, but just imagine we created a space where people can connect and meet. And we brought them in there and there were people from Mexico, from Canada, from the US, a lady from Germany. And he was kind of astounded by what was happening there. And one of the women there said, we should teach him how to fly. And I said, I don't know, people get sick when they fly in VR. He said, no, we gotta show him. And he's like, I wanna know how to fly. So we taught him how to fly. And then the next thing, I'm getting engaged in conversation with others. I go, what happened to Chip? Somebody says, I think he went to fly. And I'm like, where? So I go outside of the ship and I see this tiny little speck off in the distance. But you can still talk to people no matter how far they are. And I said, Chip, where are you going? He said, I want to go to that city. And I said, you can't get there. It's a picture that's always going to be the same distance away. So he says, I says, you need to come back here. So there's a way to pull people back. I pulled him back. And I was in a room with him actually in Mexico at the time. So he gets back, he tears off the headset. He's, I'm going to bed. But you know, he was smart enough that the next day he recorded this beautiful little testimonial. This was up 13 months ago and said, you know, this reminds me so much of my friends who were in the internet in the early 90s. And he was talking to this whole group of modern elders. And he said, many of you were on the cutting edge of that. He said, imagine if a year from now, or five years from now, or 10 years from now, we have our annual reunion in VR. 
where we do something called a resumium. You know, it was it was funny because his, the context was all out of whack. He didn't really understand the technology. But three weeks ago, we did VR demos at his annual reunion just one year after he recorded that video. <laughs> and we have great pictures of people. Many of the people who attend the Modern Elder are coaches or want to be coaches or were going to be coaches. And they were just astounded at this feeling of immersion and uh, connection that you have, which is not what you expect when you go in there. So about getting nauseous. It's about being guided properly when you first come in. So, you know, that's, and it's getting better. And the technology, just like with the computers and with the internet in the 90s, is exploding now that you've got billions and trillions of dollars being poured into it. The technology is shifting to a point where, you know, those big goggles that you see people wearing that are tethered to computers and you got to have a computer geek just helping you be on VR. You don't need that anymore. You just need a headset. Give us another year or two, and it's going to look like a pair of Oakley sunglasses. And slowly, you'll find that that, that nausea will, will be something of the past. So I used to get nauseous on my PC. Just getting on a PC made me nauseous. I was scared to death every time I got on. I remember my beeper made me sick for a while. That's why. <laughs> Alex, I know you want in here. Go ahead. I, I... <laughs> I feel like I just wandered into my grandparents' living room and they're like, oh, the internet. And um, well, I have, to, I have two things. One, you know, I love, I am in my business, I'm all about like if you create all the success in the world, but you don't feel good in your life, the experience, your, the experience of your life is all that matters. Because if you have everything and you're suicidal or unhappy, terrible, right? And if you have nothing and you're super joyful, then you actually don't need anything. Right. And, but that's not how our society often wants us to believe, right? We need to, we need to, because of capitalism, right? We need to generate, we need to create, we need to get stuff. So I love what you're speaking of in the idea of like, hey, it's our job to, to cultivate joy and generate joy. And the book of joy is this amazing book. And I would feel remiss to not ask about, um, it's easier to sit as three white men who have done well successfully and talk about cultivating joy, how do you bridge this to, you know, populations that might not have access to the money or they're in poverty or they're, you know, marginalized in whatever ways? How, how do, how do we, how do you share with them? Like it, it's about cultivating joy and that they have that ability too, when it might seem like the world is kind of beating them up and on top of them in a lot of ways. Well, so you that's like 17 questions rolled into Sorry. one. So <laughs> Sorry, I'm not as remember, I'm not a master certified. No, coach. but you know, it's funny. So first of all, addressing your parents and their fear of the internet. And prior to that, probably their fear of an ATM. I mean, the 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 funniest people who I deal with are people who are pioneers in the internet now who'd say, you know, virtual reality is a horrible thing. And it's, you know, so so that's just kind of typical, I think, with generational shifts with new technologies. But so number one, my the easiest path for me to have taken in VR would have been to create another agency. No risk. Other people are paying me to do their work, help them figure out whether they should be in VR and how they should be. But I wanted to take this joy concept and really see if I couldn't create mindful experiences in VR that would help people cultivate joy and compassion and love. And 
my partner is a woman in Mexico City who has impacted, she's taught over 50,000 teachers socio-emotional learning, which is kind of the core of joy, is this idea that you can learn how to be joyful. And they've impacted over 5 million children in Mexico. The first people who have reached out to us for demos before we're actually ready to do that kind of demo are schools in Mexico who are looking to see how do we connect in a, in a deeper way with people who may not necessarily be where we are. So I don't think we're ready to deliver, you know, headsets to kids in Mexico, but it is a way to more deeply and immersively train teachers in Mexico and others who are in the education system. My company, well, it's, and it's funny because I, I caught myself on TEDx stage a couple of weeks ago with my final event saying, I just realized I'm the only white guy on stage today. <laughs> so I think we've made a really, a really concerted effort to make sure that we've got a diverse BIPOC group that run this company. So I don't know if that helps. Uh, the, the playing field around the world, when you look at the intelligence level, the sophistication, the technology in, in Mexico, for instance, because I work with a lot of entrepreneurs there, the internet has leveled the playing field. They are at the same technical levels as our kids are now at that age, whereas 30 years ago when the internet was first starting, they didn't have access to a lot of this information. So I just see this incredible bounty that's growing with these entrepreneurs in Latin America and other countries. Africa is booming right now with startups and entrepreneurialism. So VR might take a little while before they're able to leverage it, but a lot of the startups in VR are coming out of those places. And I also want to shout out to the arts community because I've been recently introduced to art from Africa and it's stunning, you know, yeah. and I'm like, wow, this feels like an opportunity. Um, Alex, I know that you uh, wanted to talk about Ted. Is that, am I stepping on you or you want to? Oh, no, no, go ahead. We, we have time. We'll come, we'll get there. Well, I want to go back a step because as Alex points out, I'm part dinosaur. And the, the thing that I'm wondering, you know, you talk about these innovators, and I know you've been on the ground floor of a lot of innovation, uh, technologically, as well as, uh, you know, in messaging. What are the opportunities for coaches that you see or can envision? Because I can't wrap my little rat-like brain around it. But um, what are the opportunities for VR for coaching or people in helping or supportive professions? I'm envisioning that it would be a group dynamic. Uh, it can be a group. It can be a one-on-one -on -one dynamic. Part of what we're doing is providing a platform for practitioners who want to be able to connect so they don't have to worry about the technology and the challenges and all the rest of that. We can help them get set up very simply, very, you know, if you think about it, it's kind of like uh, we're working on the WordPress for VR. So in a, a way that anybody can jump in here and get in headset. What the way that I would kind of position this is, and I, and I know you coach in groups, not always in individuals. Sure. If you think about, and I think about, for instance, with Modern Elder Academy, I'll just use them as another example. I've been down there and done these immersive five-day uh, sessions down there. And, and in fact, I'll be teaching there starting next year. But when I come back and I do their online version, and I'm now looking at 40 one inch squares on my screen right. and my phone's next to my screen 
and the planes are going overhead and my dog's coming up and all these things are happening. Even though they're powerful, it's dramatically less powerful than being in an immersive environment where the only thing is what's happening in your container. So imagine being able to create a container that feels safe, that people are in directly connecting with you face to face, maybe as an avatar, maybe in a pseudo realistic, you know, human like form. But I think what happens very quickly is you forget about where you are, and you connect in a much deeper manner in VR than you do on Zoom or any of those other platforms. So an alternative to Zoom in a one-on-one -on -one or group situation. I also heard the opportunity for masterminds or um, case studies or whatever, where practitioners get together, right, and can talk in that sort of an environment. Um, trainings, I'm imagining, right? So any type, anything that's an alternative to a Zoom or an, or an in-person get-together. Well, so imagine you're training somebody uh, at a distance on how to take apart a car engine. Now in VR, you can actually have them actually remove, they remove parts, identify them, put them back and be told that's the wrong place. There's actually medical professionals who now being taught in VR because they can do much more realistic work with corpses and things than they can in Zoom. I'm even thinking too, you, you know, I saw the other day some, uh, I don't know if, if you've ever heard of Travis Fox. He was, he was in the movie, The Secret. He produced uh -huh. movies like that. He, um, he just built an online game, like an adventure game on your phone that is a business coaching game. And you go through the world's of this magical reality world, like a Harry Potter kind of experience or, or Lord of the Rings, but it's helped it's to help people develop consciousness and around their business and whatnot. And, and at first I went, wow, that's, that's kind of weird. <laughs> My first thought. And then I thought, wow, that's actually really creative. Like how would they merge that? And that's what I'm hearing here is how you can also take VR and cre create experiences, game-like experiences in the, well, probably like more in the future where somebody's actually moving through a, some sort of journey to create more awareness, to create more, you know, maybe some compassion. Like in VR, you could put them in a situation where they see people's other, a different perspective, a different reality and have having where they never would have been able to do that with their own eyes, you know, maybe in, in real life. I mean, you, you really have to not think about how do I do this that I'm doing in real life, IRL, right? That's the term yeah. IRL VR. How do I move this into VR? You kind of have to rethink it because you don't have notepads. It's not quite easy yet to take notes and things like that, but you can take pictures, you can record things, you can take videos. So you just have to think about things in a new and different way. But the first question people have, particularly coaches, is where are people going to take notes? How do I do my dyads? How do I do breakout rooms? And so we've been able to emulate all of that stuff in VR. So you can meet in a central space, you can do your talk, you can bring in video, you can bring in a Zoom screen, and then you can send everybody off to breakout rooms and give them privacy and confidentiality and then bring them back together. It's really cool. I want to I want to wrap on uh, VR just because we got so many other things to get to. But what's the what's the starting place where if I'm a coach listening today or actually participating, where do I start? Do I go get a certain type of equipment? Do I call you on the right, phone? 
What, what sort of changed the world, I think 66 million Oculus Quest 2 headsets sold since November of 2021. Uh, it's like 70% of the market. The reason it sells is it's simple. It's It doesn't have to be connected to a PC, which a lot of VR headsets still have to be connected to a gaming type PC, which most of us don't have anymore. Uh, so I think an Oculus Quest 2, $299 or $399, literally unbox it, put it on your head, it tells you exactly what to do. And then once you play around a little bit, you just have to be willing to explore. So you got to be a little bit of a pioneer. Again, just like jumping on the web in 93, 94, 95, there wasn't any freeway signs telling you where to go, but you had to just try things. And you know what? You know what I tell people? The thing I learned about computers is the same thing you need to learn about a headset. If you freak out and you don't know where you are and you don't know how to get off, there's an off button and you turn it off and then try it again some other time. And it works great. <laughs> need one of those in my marriage. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, my love. Um, the Okay, so Oculus Quest, that's our starting place. And you're very generous and you're, you have an offering for our listeners today. Should we talk about that now? Where you where you're giving away onboarding lessons yeah. to people. Anybody that, who wants to get a headset, who's interested in getting a little guidance and seeing some experiences and getting some ideas about how and where to go, just drop me an email. My email is jack at madeforjoy.life, madeforjoy.life. And I'll be happy to set up some times and take you through. And even if you don't want the generous, generous offering of an onboarding lesson with Jack, please check out madeforjoy.life because there's lots of lots of offerings there. Well, and there's a little secret just for your audience because we haven't publicized a lot of the VR work yet. Madeforjoy.life forward slash VR. Ooh. All right, we're in that. We're, we're behind the velvet rope. Um, I want to. I know that we want to get into TED and TEDx, and especially because you not only started it here, but you've passed the baton, as you suggested. This was your last, um, your last one this year. Before we do that, you've mentored a lot of people through your advertising and digital advertising agency, but also as a sort of entrepreneur yourself and as a mentor to entrepreneurs, you've supported a lot of people in startups. What are some of the, if you could wave your magic wand or, or lead the orchestra, what would you have coaches know about startups or entrepreneurs? Where do you think is a great fundamental that coaches should know or that you'd love entrepreneurs to know? I think the biggest thing is that entrepreneur, well, a couple of things I would say. Number one is help them get over their fear and, and teach them that if you're going to look for these kinds of peaks, if you're striving for the peaks, number one, which I would say to Alex as well, just keep moving forward. Put one step in front of the other. I think the second thing is expect to fail and just get back up and do it again. That was the best lesson my dad ever taught me. After my first startup, I had to shut it down. I did it before I lost everything I had. And I was beside myself. And I said, why are you not showing any, you know, any compassion? Why are you not patting me on the back or something? He said, because I know you're just going to get up and do it again. 
And I think that's one of the hardest things for most entrepreneurs. And I think the third thing is, don't think a startup means going out and finding 10 or $20 million and then seeing if your idea works. Start by bootstrapping, just get going. Take your idea, start building it, and start moving forward one step at a time. I love that. That's great advice. And I think I'm sitting here because of that. <laughs> I did all those things. Um, I know you said, Christopher, you just said, and I didn't realize this, that you just did your last TEDx, right? That's correct. And that's, I've said that before. I have passed the baton once and then I took it back and I've passed it again this time. So, so well, I know that there's a lot of coaches that listen to this have an idea of wanting to do a, a TED talk, right? right? A TEDx talk, a TED talk. It's right. very common. I'm right. one of them. Christopher's afraid of speaking to people in, in public in real life. So I don't know if that will happen. Um, what, uh, what do people not know? What do coaches specifically, like what do they not know about this experience or this world of TEDx and TED Talk that they, that they should know? Because everyone thinks they can do it. So that, I, I guess that's the first question is not so much, can I stand on a stage and do a talk? Yeah. But how do I get my talk on a stage? And I think that's the, that's the question I get every day, multiple people, usually through LinkedIn or Facebook saying, hi, I want to be your friend. <laughs> and I'm like, I can almost always tell by the query, whether it's somebody who wants a slot at TEDx. Um, and typically with coaching coaches in particular, Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, The Coaching Show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. They'll start out by saying, I coach these people and do this great work. And I want to talk about that on the stage. And that doesn't go over well with TEDx organizers or most of them. So part of the reason why I'm, I've chosen to move on is I think kind of the ethos has changed a little bit at, at TEDx. Uh, and it's not as heavily kind of regulated by the TED organization that keeps everybody really 
focused and straight and narrow. They used to review all of our speakers and all of our content. They don't do that anymore. So you can pretty much put whomever you want on stage. They may not allow the talk to go up on the TED network if they don't like the talk, but they will let them on stage. So I think coaches who want to speak on a TEDx stage should think about the impact on the world. What's the big idea we're spreading? Not what are they doing? Coaches tend to approach us with a, here's what I'm doing, not a, here's how I'm changing the world. You know, the idea of, of a TED talk is it should be an idea worth spreading, not an idea worth buying from you. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's, that's the best advice I can give coaches who want to get on a TEDx stage. And most of the time when you're hiring that person who says, I'll get, I'll get you on a TEDx stage, most of the time it's going to make them some money and it's not going to get you on a TEDx stage. The best way to do it is to go to the, go to the websites of the different TEDx's and find out what they're about. A lot of TEDx's are totally focused on local speakers, content from you know, their immediate community. Uh, but some are much broader and pull. We like to pull about a third of our speakers from out of state. We even pulled from out of the country. Um, but I think that's the way to start and to, to send, usually there's an application process. Those of us who, who have those applications read every one of those. The emails that come in through LinkedIn and Facebook, I generally pass to somebody else. I can't say I've never had, I have had a couple of people who've got on, on my stage that way, but typically that's not the way to do it. Um, if you want to go a little bit further in terms of how do you determine what you're going to talk about, I think you got to talk about it in terms of impact, not on process. What are you doing? How are you making an impact? Not here's why I'm the one to talk about this. That's great. That's, that's, I think that's great advice, right? Everybody thinks they have what they're doing is special or unique and really, if it's special and unique, but it's not actually impacting anyone or, or making a difference, or it's just about how to get people back to them, we'll just make a YouTube video. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. And, and you know, there are some extraordinary surprises on the TED stage, because they have a huge staff, obviously, and they're vetting thousands of people for every TED talk. And I, I don't know why I forgot her name, the woman who wrote Eat, Love, Pray. Elizabeth, um, Elizabeth Gilbert. Gilbert. So she was a scheduled speaker at one of the TEDs. And, you know, when I was attending, I'm looking for a break. You got to get out every once in a while. And so you pick what speakers you think you can bypass. And I thought, I'm going to, I don't need to listen to her. I've seen the, I've read the book, you know, it's cute, but I don't get how that has anything to do with, with TED. Uh, and I got stuck. I couldn't get out. So I had to sit for this talk. And her talk was one of the most extraordinary talks. It was so powerful, really talking about what do you do when you've had an incredible success? What's next? How do you keep yourself from kind of falling into the abyss, you know, after that? And what have you set? What kind of standards have you set for yourself? It's just a beautiful talk. So surprises like that, you know, come from all kinds of different, different places. I think my favorite talk 
of, of all of the talks we had on my stage, and this is something else you want to consider when you're applying for a TEDx talk was Simon Sinek, who was on stage at the very first TEDx we did. And, you know, Simon charges 50 to $100,000 now to do a talk. Um, I think his views on that talk on my stage were like 40 or 50,000 views, which is compared to the one he did two weeks later in Seattle, where he got tens of millions of views. So the production quality of the TEDx you go to is really important. And a lot of people are really more looking to get TEDx on their resume and be able to drop something underneath their email signature than trying to get a lot of views of their talk. So big difference. So if you want to get a lot of views of your talk, if you want your talk to look great, then you want to be at a TEDx that can afford to do the proper editing and you know has the right camera angles and can really make you look great on a stage. It's a, I heard a rumor that you caused trouble, that you uh, you got in trouble with the powers over at TED. Well, in <laughs> 2013, I was sitting outside of a, a, a UC San Diego classroom, and this fellow came up and said, I hear you're the guy that runs TEDx San Diego. And he said, yeah. And he says, you guys really suck. I think TED is terrible. I hate TED. And I was like, why? And he said, you know, I think it's given people this belief that if you can solve a problem in 18 minutes standing on a stage, then there's really not that big a problem. So they can just sort of climate change. Eh, they talked about that for 18 minutes. Bill Gates said with, you know, nuclear fusion, we can do this and we'll have plants in our backyards. So why should I worry about climate change? And I thought you need to be on, you need to be on the stage. Well, so we also are pretty adamant about rehearsing our speakers. And if they won't allow us to work with them, we won't put them on the stage because at the very least, we want to make sure that they're going to deliver well, that it's going to go over well, not necessarily what the, what the topic might be. We've already gone through that. So uh, Benjamin Bratton got on stage. He did his talk. But before he did that, there were things he talked about that were like anti-religion and a couple of things. I said, look, can you just remove this sort of stuff? I don't want to tell you what you should and shouldn't say because you're here to critique what we're doing. So I want you to feel free to do that, but let's not get personal with, with people. So he went on, he did his talk. It was a mediocre talk. I mean, it was kind of rambling and he's a creative guy. So it wasn't a really well thought through. <laughs> Um, but it was the first time I got a call from the big boss at Ted who said, why, why did you do this? Why didn't you tell us, you know, and the, the, I had thought that the idea was we weren't supposed to get approval for speakers because that allows Ted to kind of be above the TEDx's in a way that they don't take responsibility for the content on the TEDx stage, but ultimately you know, the, the talk went up, it got, I think, half a million views and was a pretty successful talk. But the, the more important thing was that people here in San Diego thought these guys have the guts to put something on somebody on their stage that would say we hate it. And years later, I think 20, 2019, I ran into Chris in Edinburgh at an, at an event there and he was super kind. 
and I was invited to take back the TEDx San Diego again. So, you know, we all learn from this sort of stuff. I learned from it. I probably should have told them what I was doing, so they weren't surprised. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> we all make mistakes, but we learn from them. <laughs> As you've shared, you know, that how TED has changed and how people can, you know, I know, right, well, how you shared, people, some people can just put up whoever they want now. Should people still be giving TED Talks? Is this like, should coaches be, should I take this aspiration that I have to give a TED Talk away? Or is this still, is it still relevant and important? Well, um, I wasn't sure. I really was, I, I, if you'd asked me that question two and a half, three years ago, before I took the license back on, I probably would have said, you know, everybody's doing TED-like talks. Why bother? But we, the first event we came back and did was a, an event called TEDx Women San Diego back in December, just before the pandemic shut us all down. And the energy... Um, the quality of the content, the people that met each other and connected at that event was just extraordinary. And so we decided to keep going. Um, and I think the same thing happened at this last one. Who would have thought, you know, back in the day, we struggled to sell tickets. And usually right up until the end, we would have tickets left. When the event was taken over by a dear friend, Mark Lovett in 2015, 14, he decided to go to Symphony Hall and go really big because raising money is difficult. So if you sell a lot of tickets, you don't have to raise as much money. And the first year you sold out most of the first floor, but it took a couple of years to create that new audience that more wanted to watch than sort of participate and connect. So I was stunned that this year we sold out our event weeks before uh, the day of the event that we had a huge online viewership. So I got to say, I think the value is still there. And even though there's so much competition out there, they've been able to keep the quality level pretty high. Christopher, I got one more. I want to just for, okay. So for the coaches that are listening, do they want to go and find like the TEDx, you know, in the place they live or the one that maybe like TEDx women, if they're a woman, um, or do they want to go right to TED, right? Like how do they, how do you, how do you make that decision? It's difficult, very, very difficult. You know, you've got a thousand to one or 10,000 to one odds when you're going to TED, but I'd suggest they do both. <clears throat> and just remember the key is you've got to have something, an idea worth spreading. And if it's just that you think you're the best damn coach that ever was on the planet, it's probably not going to get you a speaking spot. And look, look at the most popular talks, see what people are talking about see what's working because that's what they're doing they want more of what's working so i heard a vicious rumor that even some famous coaches had trouble getting on the stage at tedx uh including some nearby people that live nearby well i don't um, know about trouble getting on the stage but um i suspect you're talking about uh, maybe ken blanchard uh, Richard Dreyfus, both amazing, extraordinary local. Tony Robbins. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Ken Blanchard, um, I, I spoke with him briefly. I was connected with him. He said, yeah, I'll do the talk. And here's my people. Talk to my people. And your people will talk to my people. And what, what people don't realize is your people at TEDx is usually 
five or six people who were desperately trying to keep it all together. So I kept calling his team saying, I need to speak with him. I, you know, I, I need to hear about his talk. I want to do a little coaching. And they're like, you know, coach Ken Blanchard, that's what we do. Ken Blanchard companies, we're coaches. And so I said, well, I can't put him on the stage if I can't talk to him. And that was really to go over things like, it can't be a talk you've previously done. It needs to be something that shows a real impact on the world. And they said, we'll give you 15 minutes. And this is like three months from now, you can have 15 minutes. I said, okay. So I went up there with one of my best coaches, a, a woman named Stephanie Weaver. And we sat down for our 15 minutes. I think it was like nine or 9.30 in the morning. And we left at like 6 p.m completely stunned that we had had all wow. this time with this extraordinary man. I mean, we were sort of walking out on clouds and he says, Jack, didn't you forget something? I'm like, what? He says, don't you want some autographed books? While you're here? <laughs> you know? So we, he ended up working with her for six or eight sessions. <clears throat> and then the day of the rehearsal, he comes, he comes in early. He was supposed to come in for the afternoon. He's there first thing in the morning for the first session rehearsal. And he looked kind of nervous. So I went up and I said, are, are you okay? And he looks at me, he says, Jack, this is what I do for a living. I can't remember the last time I was nervous before I did a talk. <laughs> so, and then, and then Richard Dreyfuss is a, He's now, he's now a dear friend. I'm always nervous if I walk into a restaurant where he is because he'll jump up and go, Jack, TEDx guy, you know, but um, when we put him on stage, we first put him on the TEDx youth stage. But when we, we had the same issue with rehearsals, I don't do rehearsals. I know what I'm doing. And we'd heard that he has trouble finishing a talk, that he tends to go on and on and on. And I said, you know, it's 18 minutes. We've got to, and I, I think I told him 15 because I figured he was going to fudge an extra three. The long and the short of it was we needed to get him a teleprompter. And that was the only way his handlers told us that we were going to actually get him done in 15 minutes. So he did the TEDx youth talk, and then he went to do it at the TEDx adult version, TEDx San Diego. And I'm standing backstage with his, his, uh, manager, I guess. And we're both watching the teleprompter and listening to him. And she looks at me, and she goes, uh Oh, and I go, what? She goes, he's off script. And I'm like, Oh, no. <laughs> so I had warned him, I said, if you go over, you're going to see me on stage at the corner. If you go a minute, I'm going to start walking towards you. If you go two minutes, I'm going to turn the mic off. <laughs> so he, st he stopped right before the two minute mark. <laughs> <laughs> I think he didn't want to, didn't want to deal with the possibility of having the mic shut off. <laughs> but it was a great talk. We've had speakers who just before they go on stage, somebody has to go do a run of tequila and they have to have a shot of tequila before they get on stage. Or we see things backstage like Ken was talking to these two young African-American musicians about a conversation with Malcolm X that he had, you know, and to be able to hear the, that kind of, it was just extraordinary, really. What else can I tell well, you? About? Well, I, I want to go back to joy. Um, and if I can, books. But, you know, it, it's certainly not original today. People talk about it. I'm thinking about a conversation that um, Barry Lopez had with uh, uh, once about the you can't really 
explore joy without exploring the other end, right? The depths of misery or suffering or, you know, horribleness that human beings can, can be. Is that your experience? Do you have any comments about that? Like sort of a lot of people say we can't go, we can only go as high as we can go low. Well, I think the concept of joy is very different than happiness. So joy is the happiness that comes from inside, not from the things on the outside of your, of you. Uh, and, and I think actually a, a one of my favorite TEDx speakers, uh, Dr. Edith Eager, who's also a local here in San Diego, who, who was on the stage again this year. We've had her on stage two or three times. And what she says, you know, having been through the Holocaust is, the Holocaust was not me. And, and, and I think what she's meaning to say is that you can, you can acknowledge, you can express grief, but those things that happen to you are not you. They're things that happen to you. So the more that you can kind of separate those sorts of challenges from who you are. I mean, we all experience sorrow and, and the book of joy does not ex expect us to all go around saying happy, happy, joy, joy. But that the depths of where we fall to, we're able to pull ourselves out because we can cultivate joy. We can forgive, we can feel compassion and gratitude. And those are the things that help us. I mean, again, being of service is probably the best place to find joy. It's beautiful. I feel like I'm missing an opportunity for us to end on the perfect note there. <laughs> You talked about books um, and that, like me, you're a, you know, one a month guy. Any, anything that you're loving or, or recommending these days besides the Book of Joy? Uh, yeah, there's, a, there's a, a book, another book. Um, it's written by a fellow named James Doty, who runs Sea Care, the, the Compassion Institute at Stanford University. And it's called Enter the Magic Shop. And it's a beautiful little book about his story of kind of finding mindfulness and meditation and compassion. I think that's probably my favorite book. And then I, I found out the other day that uh, the Korean rock band, I think the, the hottest band in the world right now, BTS, put out a song in Korean based on the magic shop. So yeah so i, I think <laughs> there's a new aspiration for you alex <laughs> has bts done any work based on your work yeah if we hear them do one of your songs alex we'll know that uh that you're that you don't need tedx stage anymore how, do you have any connections how do i get into bts <laughs> <laughs> i'm working on it we'll see <laughs> um what have we not asked you what you know we've talked about VR, we've talked about Ted, we've talked about Joy. What have we not thought to ask you that, you know, coaches, speakers, leaders need to know? Well, I, I would say Chris sort of addressed it in the very beginning, which is um, don't be afraid of playing at the edges because that's where you'll find the space. You know, if I look at my history, now, I was probably the first person to bring in women's apparel from Bali, which now is kind of a huge deal. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. I started the first sunglass chain on the planet. 
in the early 80s, uh, right before the Blues Brothers brought the Wayfarers out. Um, I started a digital agency in 1992 when everybody thought I was crazy. Uh, I started a, a plant indoor plant lighting company right before the cannabis craze hit. And now I'm playing in VR uh, and joy. And I think, um, you know, I could go back through the, the litany of failures, but overwhelmingly, you know, you got to, if you, if you win 51% of the time you win, and if you take no risk, you have no chance to win. So I encourage people to, you know, push the edges a little bit, explore the things that you're a little bit afraid of. That's probably a place where you'll find joy. I recognize another beautiful opportunity for us to end. That is Jack Abbott. And the website is madeforjoy.life, L-I-F-E, madeforjoy, M-A-D-E-F-O-R-J-O-Y dot life. Jack, you're an extraordinary human being. And um, boy, if there's one thing that I admire beyond your creativity, your innovation, your risk-taking, it's your way with people and your manner with people. I've uh, been around you, although we are not uh, friends, but but I've been around you and I've seen you interact with people both, you know, well, very well known and people relatively unknown. I've seen you interact with older people and younger people and you are an extraordinary people person. I guess, um, I'm wondering if you feel like that's innate or something also cultivated, because I'm clear that you get joy from being with people and being around people. Is that true? Yes. Yes. And I think it's a hard question to answer, um, but I don't think there's any question. It's something I've worked on and will continue to work on my whole life. I had a dear, dear friend who's also a dear friend of Charles's, Mary Gross, who helps me with all the TEDx work and is kind of that person that just wants to be behind the scenes. And we went to dinner the other night and I've worked with her actually on and off for 30, almost 30 years. I said 30 years and she got upset. She said, no, it's 26. Okay. So. <laughs> anyway, for 26 years. And she said, what I love the most about you is that you continue to grow and learn and you're kind of the sponge for trying to improve yourself and improve those around you. And it was the highest compliment. I had tears rolling down my cheeks because I've often said, when I stop learning, I don't want to be here anymore. So, and I just love people and I love to make people happy. And I found that that's my greatest source of joy. Thanks for asking that question. Thanks so much for being with us today. It's been extraordinary as you are. Please come back anytime. We would love to be with you. And if you, dear listener, are interested in getting more of Jack's brilliance, please drop an email to Jack, J-A-C-K at madeforjoy.life and find out more about that VR onboarding opportunity. Alex Terranova, you're extraordinary in your own right. TheDreamMason.com is the best way to find you. we got all sorts of things going. You've got your dream client opportunity. You want to talk about that really quickly before we say goodbye? Uh, this is the, if you've thought about working with a coach, if you've ever thought about working with me, I think this is the opportunity because if you submit yourself to, if you go to TheDreamMason.com, 
and you submit yourself, not only will you get likely some free sessions so we can evaluate what it's like, but the winner is going to get a two night, three day, all ex all expenses paid, luxury, business, life, deep dive with me in Palm Springs. So you know, what do you have to lose besides a, a I mean, unless you really don't want to go to Palm Springs with me, you'll have your own room. This is professional. Oh, wow. <laughs> this is professional. This is not a romantic trip, you know, not to be confused with other right. adventures I have launched in the past. All right. Um, but yeah, so, thanks. So the, so the very platonic details are to be found at thedreammason.com. Your books, of course, you've written fictional authenticity available wherever fine books are available. And uh, you're a contributor to redefining masculinity, correct? Yes, I am. Yeah, as far as I know, as far as I know, I. <laughs> you should read your own writing sometime. Yeah. Uh, I, I have wanna... a little secret, Chris, for your yeah. for your audience here, which I think is important. Is there are two things that really stand out on the screens that I'm looking at with these two gentlemen, and the word love is what comes out multiple times behind Chris on his wall, and a big heart behind Alex. So, thank you so much for the love and heart that you guys share with with all of us. It's a, a pleasure. It's an honor to be here. You're so kind, Jack. Thank you so Thanks, much. Jack. I also want to shout out to our longtime sponsor. 20 years of sponsoring this here program is Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Uh, programs are available now all over the place. There's a program in the European time zone, in the Asia Pacific time zone, all across North America and South American time zones. Also in-person programs returning this summer. Check it out, accomplishmentcoaching.com. I thank you, dear listener, for being with us as we bring you each and every week, people out on the cutting edge, people you need to know about, people who are just darn interesting. I thank you for listening to our podcast here at The Coaching Show and all the podcasts at Accomplishment Media or wherever you get your podcast. That's it for this week. We will talk to you next week. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Show. We will talk to you next week.